Dear founder, as you know, there's no blueprint for entrepreneurship. You wear so many hats, you burn the midnight oil, you pour your heart and soul into everything that you do. But without a doubt, the journey is worth every single second that you put into it. I'm Lindsay Pinchuk, host of the Dear Founder podcast. I say this because I've lived it for over a decade. I started my first company with $500 in my pocket and a baby in my belly. I grew it and I sold it all. This podcast is my weekly letter to you. We'll talk all things starting, growing, nurturing, and in some cases, even selling a business. Together with some of my closest contacts, I'm here to help you find your own success, whatever that means to you. The ride as a founder is the ride of your life. So come on in and join me for another episode that will get you one step closer to reaching your own founder goals. Welcome back to another episode of Dear Founder. I am so excited for you to hear today's story. But before we get started, I want to just take a minute to say thank you. I cannot thank you enough for your continued support, for listening to Dear Founder, and for sharing the podcast with all of your friends. All of these things are incredibly appreciated by me as I look to continue to support you. And I have one more thing I want to thank you for. As you know, I launched my first big marketing workshop program this week. And in doing so, something really unexpected happened. Um, A lot of you came to me and said that you wanted to work with me one-on-one. Your belief in me is so appreciated. And from that, I have decided to create three different one-on-one options to work with me to help you grow your personal brand or your company's community through content, social media, partnerships, email, collaborations, and more. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes and fill out the form. Grab 30 minutes with me. We'll have a free consult. I'd love to get the chance to know you, to know your business, and to figure out if one of these opportunities is a great way to work together. So take a look and let me know if you have any questions. Now on to today's episode. Um, Radha Vias is was in her 30s, stressed at work and wanting to get away and have some fun and adventure. But all of her friends were busy getting married, having kids, or tied up with their own careers. When she researched the travel market, she realized that it was predominantly catering to young budget backpackers or the luxury retired market. And she was somewhere in between. So with her now husband, Lee Thompson, the two of them created Flashpack, a luxury adventure travel company geared toward like-minded solo travel in their 30s and 40s. In this episode, we talk about losing and relaunching a travel business during COVID. And this is a really, this was a pivotal moment for Radha and her team. They went from $27 million in revenue to $0 to making a COVID comeback. So we're going to talk about how they spent the last year saving their travel business, as well as the high highs and the low lows of running a startup. I'm so excited to share this conversation with you. Um, Radha is absolutely amazing, and she's really been through it all. So without further ado, please come on in and meet Radha Vyas. We have a special guest from the UK, Radha Vyas, who is the CEO of Flashpack. And I'm so excited to have her here because we're talking about one of my favorite subjects, which is travel. And for those of you who know me and know my past life, I used to travel both for work and fun two to three times a month. And obviously with COVID, that has slowed down. But Rada has built a company on travel. And we are going to talk about the highs and the lows, what happened during COVID. And I'm really just so excited to share her story. So Rada, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Of course. So take us back, you know, you were just telling me a little bit about 
your story as a mom and when you had your baby, but we have not gotten into the story. So I want to know how you founded this company, why, and what you do. Share with because I want you to pretend like people listening do not even know what you do. Have never heard of Flashpack. Okay, absolutely. So Flashpack is a community travel platform. So for people in their 30s and 40s, so you're a solo traveler, you come alone and we connect you with 13 other like-minded individuals and you go on an awesome adventure together and we take care of everything. You turn up at the airport, it's completely stress-free, it's completely hassle-free, we'll take care of you and you'll come back and with amazing memories. So how did you have the idea for this and how did this get started? Yeah, I was looking for my big business idea. Um, I've, I've always been enterprising. I was, you know, tried a couple of things that didn't work. I was at the time I was running a small consultancy firm, raising money for the what we call here in the UK third sector, which I think you probably call the charitable sector um, from high net worth individuals. But it wasn't that kind of scalable idea that I was looking for. And I was a bit burnt out. I'd been working really hard. I needed a vacation. So I called a friend of mine, a girlfriend, and I said, look, come on, let's go somewhere. Like I just, you know, I need to go somewhere. Like most people, I turned to travel every time I had a problem in my life. and I just needed to get away, you know, remember who I was. She was busy. A couple of other friends were busy. But she said to me, look, why don't you try a group tour? And I remember feeling distinctly offended. (laughs) Like it just conjured up all these images of, frankly, retired people in matching caps walking around with a tour guide who's like falling asleep. You know, it just didn't, it didn't spark me with joy or excitement. And I remember thinking, I don't need this. Like I'm an independent traveler. I've lived and worked abroad all my life. I lived in France, in Chile, in Spain, all before I was 25. I don't need a group tour company. But I was really intrigued by the idea. And I started looking into it. And the more I looked into it, the more I got excited. I just saw this whole market of people in their 30s and 40s who are being ignored, who are underserved. And I knew that there must be many people out there like me, whose social circle was kind of shrinking, right? Like when you get into your 30s, everyone gets really busy with their career, or maybe your friends are getting married, having children, and you haven't taken that path, which which was kind of where I was at in my in my 30s. And I was struggling to find someone to go on holiday with. And I thought there's got to be more people like there out there like me who are looking for something like this, but doesn't don't know it is, exists, don't know it exists for them. Also, the concept seemed super outdated, pretty naff. Like I wouldn't have been seen dead on something like that. And I realized that this was my big travel idea. This was, sorry, this was my big business idea. I'd been traveling all my life. It was like in my blood. And um I was like, look, I can come in, I can do something super disruptive in the space, launch a really aspirational lifestyle brand and appeal to people like me. So I just went for it. So you have this idea. What next? When you say you went for it, what does that mean? How did you get started? What happened? Yeah, good question. So actually, I went on at the same time, I thought, let me sort out my love life. (laughs) I've been single for a little while. I went on match.com. Tinder didn't exist then. Went on match.com and got matched with a man called Lee. And we went on a date and he was a photojournalist. He'd spent his career traveling the world to all these weird destinations, covering things like Libyan civil war and Japanese tsunami, all these kind of breaking world stories was really well traveled. And we spent the entire night talking about travel. 
and essentially came up with our first product ideas over a couple of bottles of red wine. Um, you know, I told him the idea. He immediately got it. He was single in his 30s, you know, struggled to find friends to travel with. And we decided to go for it. And he was his skills were in branding and marketing and mine were more in operations and finance. So we thought it was a good match. And we started hashing out the initial idea for Flashpack on the back of a serviette. Uh, we spent our first dates going to trade shows and, you know, looking at competitors, like pretty sad, but it kind of <laughs> worked for us. And we went on a first recce mission to Sierra Leone. And we thought, well, if we survive Sierra Leone together, we can probably survive running a business together. And and we did. And we got, we set up in that year, we set up, uh, we put £15,000 in initially. We set up a website. We launched with five adventure products, which were pretty cutting edge at the time. And tried to acquire our first customers. How was the match? <laughs> really good. We're still married. Okay. <laughs> I knew that. Cuddler. I knew that, but I wanted to, I wanted everyone to hear. So, <laughs> okay. So you have your five products. How, like, how does one go about kind of putting together these products? Like, did you match up with like, other, like vendors? I mean, what, how, like what happened? Like, you know, I mean, how did, how do you come up with, you, you have these ideas for these tours, these trips, but that takes planning also. Yeah. And we had never worked in the travel industry, <coughs> by the way. So we had no background in travel. Like I had no idea how you set up a travel company. UK is pretty regulated in terms of travel. Like it's a semi-regulated industry. So I had to find out all about the regulation, um, you know, how you set up a travel company, like find local partners in these destinations. So we set up with um, Sierra Leone, Uganda, a Vespa tour in Spain, um, Brazil and Chile. Right. We wanted to be we started off kind of with the idea that we would be like super cutting edge, would take people to places they didn't ever kind of know or hadn't thought about going to. Anyway, that didn't work, but that's another story. But it's we 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 set up these products, found local partners to help us deliver them. We created all the itineraries ourselves and set up the website, right? And then tried to get eyeballs on our website by spending on, you know, we spent quite a lot of money on on Google AdWords. <laughs> didn't work, you know, just tried all sorts of stuff to just get eyeballs on our website and try to get people to buy. Essentially, nothing worked. It took us, we were six months in, we were running out of money and it was really, really difficult to get people to buy essentially a $3,000 adventure holiday with a company they'd never heard of. Today's episode is brought to you by Hivecast, an amazing agency providing high quality podcast production made simple and affordable. I hit the jackpot when I came across Hivecast as I pieced together services from contractors all over the web initially to help me with my podcast. Hivecast was everything that I needed all in one place. For just $500 per month, they not only produce and edit four episodes, but they also create the marketing assets. Emma, my account manager, is amazing, making sure that I'm on task and that we can schedule episodes regularly and by my deadlines. Honestly, the time saved working with Hivecast is worth at least triple what I'm paying. Their sister company, Fireside, offers other marketing services for small businesses, including social media management, Facebook and Instagram ads, search engine marketing, and so much more. Again, all at a rate palatable by a small business owner. The best part, there's no contract. You can purchase their services as needed on a monthly basis. 
Use the code FOUNDHER and save 50% off your first month of services. Give them a try. The decision to outsource this part of my business has surely saved me a ton in the long run, and it was the best decision I've made for my business. So, and that was my next question was, how did you start getting customers? What ended up happening? What was the big break? The big break was um, six months in, um, we were pretty broke at that. You know, we initially started off with 15,000, but we were constantly putting money in to try and attract customers. Nothing was working. We were getting pretty depressed and, you know, we'd, we'd kind of started off quite naively. We'd launched the business publicly. We told all our friends and family and it felt like everyone was watching us and it, this thing was failing. Right. So we went on a holiday to Egypt because every time we have problems, we go on holiday. So we went to Egypt. We had like a little bit of money left. It was like a super cheap holiday because nobody was traveling to Egypt because of the Arab Springs. We went there for a week and we just sat in the sun and we're like, what are we going to do? Is it time to give up? And we decided it wasn't time to give up because we just didn't have enough eyeballs on the company. I think the next day Lee was reading Mashable or something and he saw this article about uh, Christ the Redeemer statue in Rio being fixed because of lightning damage. And he saw these workmen popping out of the statue, like out of Christ's head and out of the arms and stuff. And he had this bright idea and he just said, being a photojournalist, he just said, look, I know how to get eyeballs on our business for very little money. I'm going to fly to Rio and I'm going to convince whoever I need to convince to climb the statue. And I'm going to be the first person to take a selfie with Jesus. And it will go viral and that'll be it. We'll launch our business. And I thought he was insane. I didn't even know what viral meant, to be honest with you. I just, I I don't know what I expected, but he essentially spent our last 1,000 pounds flying to Rio, booking a cheap hotel. And he doorstepped the archdiocese of the Brazilian church and said, look, Brazil's getting loads of bad press at the moment because they were pacifying the favelas at the time. You might remember all the protests in Brazil. The World Mm -hmm. Cup was about to happen. It was 2014. The World Cup was about to happen. They were getting loads of bad press. And he said, I can turn this around. And he turned around and said to Lee, you're a madman, but I like it. Go go for it. And he gave him the key to the statue and just told the workmen to let him up. So he essentially climbed the statue, popped his head out the top, took this amazing selfie, um, And we sat on it for like a month because we were so scared that somebody was going to steal the idea, like some celebrity would see it and take a selfie and nobody would care about our selfie. And we launched it a month before the World Cup. No, sorry, two weeks before the World Cup kicked off. And it went insane. I mean, we were covered by every single national newspaper in the world. That is no exaggeration. I really do think it's one of the most viral selfies ever. Um, Lee was running around doing TV interviews with CNN, Good Morning America. I think he was on um, he was on some other shows as well. And in, he was on New Zealand TV, Australian TV, Canadian news. And I was at my lap, chained to my laptop for a week, emailing every journalist in the world saying, yes, you can have the picture for free, but please give us a backlink. So what was the premise of the message that, that I mean, obviously the picture in and of itself speaks a thousand words, but how did you position the picture? Um, we positioned it as we called it. Well, initially we were going to call it uh, Lee gets high with Jesus or getting high with Jesus. And then we thought we would defend the church. So we changed it at the last minute before we launched it. We changed it to no, we were going to call it getting high with Jesus. Yeah, that was it. Changed it to our first selfie with Jesus. And because Brazil was in the news every day and because a World Cup was 
brewing and everybody there was like it was like the climax of excitement that the world cup was happening that's what made it go viral and it was a shocking image of you know like being at such a great height so you have all of this press how did it start converting yeah so we just started getting bookings like I was waking up to bookings I thought it was spam and that launched our business we started getting American customers UK customers from from that moment on we were already an international business small scale at that point but then we started getting monthly like recurring revenue so the one thing I want to ask about is like the virality of this photo didn't even necessarily have to do. I mean, yes, he went to Brazil. Yes, he took a picture in this hot, very important place, but it really didn't have much to do with your mission, your business, but you creatively tied it back to getting the eyeballs on your business, right? That's right. And I guess that's how we positioned it in a way was, look, we're a, we're a new travel company and we'll take you to places that others can't. You know, we've got access and that's the way we we then launched and got ourselves on the map, essentially. So you're seeing tons of success. You're seeing tons of bookings. Take us to what happens next. So then we were still doing, we were still running our other businesses. So Lee was this photojournalist. He had this freelance agency. I had a freelance agency and we were both running those businesses um, for quite a while until 2016, actually. So we're running the business as a kind of side hustle, just, uh, you know, reinvesting all the profits. Like we didn't have the ability to pay ourselves a salary at that point. In 2016, we raised a very small seed round of investment from some angels, about £250,000, about $300,000 or so. And at that point, we gave up our businesses and we just went full time into the business. And that was a real inflection point because that year we made our first million pounds and then we just grew from there. You know, we're at some point we're forexing our business. I think we went from like 1 million to 4 million to 12 million and then to 20 million pound revenue just before COVID hit. And then you only did the one round of fundraising, right? Or did you do more? That's it. Yeah, that's right. We self-financed the business, which was really tough. And now I see why people don't self-finance a venture growth business. <laughs> um, it was really tough. So we're going to talk about the elephant in the room because you have a travel company and mm. in March of 2020 travel shut down and it's, it's coming back for sure. Um, but it's, it's been a struggle, I am sure. And your whole business went to zero at one point. That's right. So let's talk about that and what happened and how you you're pulling yourself out and making a comeback because I know you are. Sure. Um, so just to just to take a, a one step back, we were just before COVID hit, we were flying really high. We were a team of about 55, 60 people. We were just about to complete our Series A institutional like funding round. We were being solicited by VCs from Silicon Valley. And in London, like our customer base was, our biggest customer base was actually US. UK is a second market for us. So American VCs were very, very interested. As you can imagine, there aren't many businesses who can bootstrap like a high growth business, right? So we were very interesting, very interesting to VCs who are trying to now, you know, instill this kind of mentality in most founders, right? Like just act like you don't have the money. Like it's good to have constraints, like think outside the box. Don't just spend, spend, spend. 
So um, we were out there pitching to VCs. I think we'd done about 30 different pitches. We could get in a room with a partner from any VC firm we wanted. We had VCs in Silicon Valley saying, oh, you know, they've put a restriction on travel this week because of COVID, but don't worry, we'll fly to London to meet you next week, right? And then we had four offers on the table. We're just about to go into due diligence stage. And Friday, 13th of March, Trump decided to close the American borders. And everyone in the world followed his lead. And it was just absolute chaos. We had hundreds of customers traveling in Costa Rica, in Morocco. I mean, we had hundreds of bookings in the pipeline. The phone started ringing. Emails started coming in. I want a refund. Everybody wanted a refund. We needed to repatriate hundreds of customers. We had only been running for about four years at that point from the moment we'd got the kind of seed funding in 2016. We didn't have a war chest of funds in the bank you know, we were living really day to day. That's why we're doing our Series A, because we self-financed the company and we'd got to a point of growth where we really needed investment in the business. So that was all going on. At the same time, with trying to manage the business, trying to help the teams manage customers, customers were getting pretty angry, right? At this point, we didn't know what the hell was going on with COVID. Like, we didn't know if this was going to be a one to two year thing, if it was going to be a two month thing. Like, basically, my mental health uh, was a tied to the news every day with like Boris Johnson like what was he going to say that day <laughs> what hope was he going to give businesses in the UK right and um, the travel industry basically got no help here in the UK there was just no help for the travel industry the whole industry was completely severed our revenue dropped 95% overnight so in tandem with managing all this chaos in the business we carried on trying to fundraise because we knew we needed it Quite a few VCs just dropped out or went silent at this point. You know, they were, I mean, VCs and PE firms were, you know, really scared, right? There were, everyone was trying to manage their losses. Like no one knew what the results of COVID was going to be on their business. There were still some VCs who sensed the deal, right? So from like the kind of high valuations, like 50 million pound valuations that we were kind of receiving, I would have had to climb down quite a bit. So there were still some VCs talking to us. Anyway, we continued fundraising for six months. In tandem, we started trying to get a sale for the business, like a fire sale, to save all the jobs, to save the business. But everyone in the industry who would have bought us were also managing their losses, right? Everyone was on fire, not in a good way. And um, although lots of competitors got on a call with us and let us do our presentations because they wanted insight into our business, which was super painful, right? Like opening up all your insider secrets to your competitors who are all trying to copy you. Um, we didn't obviously didn't get a deal done. All the VCs dropped out. And then in October 2020, we decided it was time. Like we we tried everything. And even though there was still money in the bank and we could have just kept trying, like to be honest, our mental health was completely like severed by that point. We were so tired. We'd lost pretty much all of our team. And we decided to put the business into administration. Is that like bankruptcy? Yeah, that's bankruptcy. Okay. Bankruptcy. That's right. That's what you call it over there. So we made we went bankrupt. Uh, we called in like the insolvency practitioners um, to wind up the business, and that was probably the darkest day of my I entire life. I can't even imagine. Yeah, I can't crazy. even imagine. And it's like also I can't even imagine because it it was so beyond your control. I mean, this was something that like 
the world was dealing with and it was so out of your control, but it had, it made the world of difference to you and your family and your life. Like I, I can't even imagine. Yeah. I mean, you know, the business was our first baby. So if it really did feel like almost like losing a child um, in a way, um, almost, almost not quite. Um, but it was, it was, it was really hard, but on the positive side of things, I just thought, you know what, as a founder and as a CEO of the business, everything is your fault, right? Like, <laughs> like literally everything is your fault. Like, even if someone else makes a mistake in your business, like you've hired that person who made the mistake, everything's your fault. Finally, something happened that wasn't my fault. Like it was just, that was kind of a relief looking at yeah. the positive side of it. It was like, great, like finally something's not my fault. So um, when once we made the decision to quit, which did take us six months, it did take quite a while. We, it was, in some ways it was hard, but it was also a big weight off my shoulders because at that point, then we could kind of look forward rather than being in crisis constantly. So after you made that decision, what happened? Because you have launched a comeback and travel is coming back. And you would know better than me, but from what I see, travel is bigger than ever because everyone is itching to go somewhere right now. Yeah, my gosh. Okay. So we basically got the business back. We relaunched in... um, we relaunched a year after we went bankrupt. We saved the brand. Lee worked tirelessly to save the brand. Um, and we would we couldn't afford to send our daughter to nursery anymore. So she was at home during this whole thing with us. Like just she'd just learned to walk, like going around, um, continuously watching Coco Melon. I can't listen to Coco Melon anymore. It drives me absolutely crazy. It reminds me of that time. But um, we would swap. So in the in the morning, I would lock myself up in the basement, which is where I am right now, and I would fundraise, trying to raise money for uh, relaunching the business and Lee would like look after our toddler and then we'd swap and he'd kind of like look at how we could save the brand and like savage like save our reputation and then finally I found a funder who backed our vision for community travel like understood that the business was going to be even bigger than it was pre-pandemic right like people want connection and our collective isolation over two years just made everyone realize that friendship and connection is as important to your mental health and well-being as getting a good night's sleep or looking after your gut biome. They understood that. And we completed a fundraising round. We completed our Series A five months after going bankrupt. And we relaunched in November 2021. We rehired some of our old team, which was amazing. Like All of our suppliers, or 98% of our suppliers anyway, are still with us for the journey. They like totally believe in us, even though some of them lost money in the bankruptcy process. They're still with us today. And we relaunched and it was, it has gone crazy from day one. Like we've had an incredible repeat rate, lots and lots of customers who followed our journey, knew that we went into bankruptcy, who were affected by our bankruptcy, still rebooked with us. We started running adventures in January. So we were managing, we managed to launch during Omicron. Omicron was still going on in Jan, right? And I don't know what's quite happening there in the US right now, but here in UK, no one like talks about COVID very much anymore. No one really talks about Omicron. It's kind of life is, we're living with it now. But back in Jan, Omicron was still quite a big thing. We managed to run adventure holidays in January and February. And since then, we've we've sent about 300 customers abroad to Morocco, to Costa Rica, to Colombia, to Sri Lanka. It's been amazing. It's been a ride. I mean, the whole team are like pretty stressed. <laughs> we're 14 people at the moment and we're tracking 
like 80% towards 2019 levels of revenue. Um, and back then we were a team of like 40, 50, right? <laughs> Congratulations. I literally, as you were telling me this, like I got tears in my eyes. I'm not kidding because I could feel the emotion in you. And I can't even imagine what it's like to go from such a high to such a really dark, dark, dark low back up again. And at the end of the day, I more than anything, it speaks volumes to you and Lee as founders and your character and your integrity and how people want to work with you and also to your brand. Um, and you know, obviously you have a viable product that people love and believe in. And it was really just the environment and what happened in the world that put a wrench in things for a little bit. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it feels weird to be starting again and doing the whole journey again, but I feel so confident now. I mean, I'm, you know, it's too early to say I'm grateful for the experience of COVID. It's like way too early for that. I'm still a bit raw from it. But I do, what I am glad and grateful for is I'm a much more confident CEO now. Like you don't, I've learned more from failure than I learned from years of high growth and success, right? I learned so much more. I grew so much. Now I feel like, really super comfortable in my role as CEO of a high growth company. Whereas before, you know, I was, yeah, it was really stressful. Like I felt so out of my comfort zone um, all the time. So I am, I'm grateful for that. What are you doing different now for 2.0? Oh gosh. Yeah. So many lessons learned. I could write a whole book on it. Look, the main lesson is take the money when you don't need it. Right. We should have started fundraising a lot sooner um, that was my mistake and take the money when you don't need it so that when something like this happens, you've got funders to turn to. We had no one to turn to. We had nobody who wanted to protect their investment, no one who wanted to help us. We're just out there on our own. And so that's the first thing we rectified. We've now got a fantastic funder behind us who've got very, very deep pockets. I mean, they're a 50 billion pound fund. They really back our vision um, and we've got money in the bank so I can just sleep easy at night. So that's the first thing. A few other things that we're doing differently. We completely, we had 74 adventure products before COVID. We got rid of all of them and we started from scratch. Like we scaled too quickly and some of our adventure products just didn't live up to the our high expectations and the expectations of our customers who kind of knew and loved us and come on the journey with us. They, they could see that the quality was dropping as we scaled. So we got rid of all of them. We started from scratch. Me and Lee redesigned them like together. We launched with 20 new adventure products and we're, we're scaling that side of the business slightly slower. Something that you said um, earlier in the conversation, you said like, don't just spend, spend, spend. And then, you know, you were just talking about taking the money when you need it. And I think though, there is a really important lesson to be learned there because I know I've seen in my 12 years as an entrepreneur, so many brands who have taken the money and did exactly what you just said not to do, which is spend, spend, spend. And they're not spending wisely. They're not spending strategically. And ultimately they've gone out of business because they're riding the high of like some big investment and they're being really showy about it. So I would love for you to kind of just weigh in a little bit about spending strategically and keeping money in the bank and being smart about the process. Yeah, look, our case was a bit different, right? COVID is a, a different case, but generally I would say most businesses don't die of starvation. They die of indigestion, right? 
Um, and I think it's more so over there in America where money invested in businesses is just so much greater and than here in the UK, right? Um, you have to take the money, definitely take the money. Like there are two schools of thought, right? Don't raise too much. Don't dilute yourself. Like too much money is bad. And then another school of thought is take the money. I was probably in the first camp before COVID. I'm now firmly in the second camp. Take the money when you don't need it, but don't spend it, right? Or spend it wisely. Like still have the mindset of bootstrapping in a way. And I definitely think VCs are trying to instill this mindset in founders um, these days. Definitely spend on growth. So now we, the kind of travel bit of our business is, is almost profitable again. You know, it, it runs itself. And then we're going to invest. We're going to use the money to invest in growth areas. So technology in, um, you know, getting boots on the ground in America, like having a proper office in the US, like hiring people over there. And these are all investment areas. And that's where, why I'll be raising so that I don't need the money to sustain ourselves to just, I don't need runway. Like I need money to grow and to go faster. Something I want to touch upon that from the very start of this conversation is something I talk about all the time. And I'm like jealous because you did this. Um, I always say that I wished that I had a co-founder. Um, when I started my first company, I am creative marketing sales. That's me. Mm-hmm. And I was not what you are, which is operations and finance. And, you know, it took me uh, like, I, di- I don't think I expected to grow as fast as I did. And it took me a while to realize that I needed that person. And once I had that person, it wasn't a co-founder. It was someone I hired, you know, that was when I was really able to grow. But I would love for you to weigh in a little bit about the positives of starting with a co-founder and finding someone. I mean, you kind of found it by accident on match.com, right? But like, I think that there's something to be said if you have an idea about finding someone who complements your skill set and 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 really launching with that person versus waiting. Because I, I like I think I would have grown so much faster had I had that person with me. And you did. Yeah, I mean, look, I commend people who run their businesses alone when they're a solo founder. Like, it's amazing. These people are superheroes. You're one of them. I don't think I could have done it alone. Um, It was, I, I mean, I found it lonely even with Lee. You know, like, we often talk about loneliness. And as entrepreneurs, we need to talk about loneliness and the mental health toll of running your own business has, right? And I think this needs to be, like, an open subject, much more. Um, even Lee and I often did talk and still talk about the loneliness of being a founder, right? It's lonely at the top. You can't, you just can't talk to your staff. Like you can't tell them all the stresses that you're dealing with, all the pressures. You've got to put on a brave face every day. Um, and you know, the positives for me were that we c- we always felt understood. Like it's different, you know, as a husband and wife team, that like we never had to explain to each other why we're having a bad day. Like you never have to explain, right? That person just gets it. The downsides of being married to your co-founder are that like when you're having when you're in your downtimes, you're both in your downtimes, but when you're in your uptimes, like there's no one better to like celebrate that with, right? But when you are in your downtimes, it's like hard to pull each other out of it because you're kind of in it together, right? So you're both just like there, depressed and dwelling on things. 
I think having a co-founder who isn't a family member is also a massive, massive benefit, right? Because then you you each have like a different support network and, you know, you can, you can go home to your partner if they aren't in your business and there's less risk there financially too. Like Lee and I have taken huge financial risk being in a business together. I mean, when we were on the brink of bankruptcy, we feared for our own jobs right? I was like, who's going to employ us? I don't even know if I can work for someone. The whole industry severed. We're not going to get a job. We don't have any personal runway. We're going to lose our house. Like it was that risky. Whereas if you're not in a relationship with somebody, then, um, you know, they've got the stable job and you can go off and set up your business. Right. So sometimes I did like lament on that. So there are pros and cons, but I would definitely, whichever way you do it, I would definitely recommend finding a co-founder with complementing skills. I want to ask you about something else that happened during this time. I mean, you were dealing with insanity in the work front with your company, with COVID. You also became a mom right before this all happened. And Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people listening are moms and founders, and that is a whole other, that could be a whole other episode. You and I both know that. Yeah. But I'd love for you to touch a little bit upon how becoming a mom as an entrepreneur has impacted your decisions and what's that, what's that been like? Yeah. So my toddler was born um, when we were flying high, right? We're in a massive growth stage of our business. I took two months maternity leave, which was not enough. I don't feel proud of that. And um, nobody should follow my shoes. Like this is not advice I'm giving anyone. The advice is like take more maternity leave. I mean, I was, I was just pumping at work constantly. Like it was so stressful. And I I really look back on that and regret it, but I didn't feel like I could take more than two months off. I mean, in the two months I was off, we'd hired like 20, 30 extra people, right? I got back to work. I didn't even know, I couldn't even recognize my own company. I didn't know people's names. I felt like a new employee. It was like first day of school for me. It was like, it was really overwhelming. Um, It was, but it was, I loved the business. I loved it. And I miss it when I was on maternity it was really hard to going, going from running a high growth business, like adrenaline adventure every day to sitting on the sofa and breastfeeding pretty much 24 hours a day. Like that was really hard and took it in itself took a kind of mental toll. And I really missed the business. I really missed being part of it. And Lee would come home um, every night and go, oh, this happened in the business and that happened in the business and you need to know this and that. And I felt like I was missing out and I felt like no one needed me you know I had all these kind of mixed emotions I was still feeling really grateful for my daughter and to be there but in all honesty I found that kind of first few months of uh, like quite difficult because I was so used to being on the go all the time and being around people and taking charge and suddenly I was in this world where I didn't know what the hell I was doing you know I was trying to learn I was just learning how to breastfeed and everything was like such a steep learning curve and I felt totally out of my depth but I went back to work um and then, you know, there's all the mixed emotions about going back to work and then missing my toddler while I was at work. And, you know, it was it was a, it was a big emotional journey, but I wouldn't there's no way I would change it for the world. Um, it was there's no good time to have a child. There's no good time at all. And and I think you've just got to go for it when you're when you feel like physically and emotionally and mentally ready to do it. And, you know, I think I was I waited a bit too long. I was trying to get the business into a perfect place. And of course, there's no perfect place. And Sometimes I look back and if I reflect, I kind of wish I did it a bit earlier when the business was a bit smaller. I think it would have been less stressful and I could have taken more time off and just enjoyed my maternity leave. 
Um, and then when COVID hit, my toddler was one years old, you know, and she was like, all the nurseries closed. She was at home. She just learned to walk. And when I reflect back on that time, it was really hard. Um, I actually had to send her to stay with my sister for two weeks. It was the first time I'd ever been away from her. And it was the last time I've ever been away from her. And it was um, heartbreaking, but I couldn't cope with trying to save the business. And, you know, looking after her I just couldn't cope with it so we sent her to my sisters for two weeks and she had a ball actually I didn't think she wanted to come home (laughs) she was with her cousins she had a great time um but then she came back home and we had to kind of deal with both things and in a way I reflect back and it was hard but I'm also grateful because I got that time with her every day that I didn't get during my maternity leave so I saw her first steps I heard her first words I you know all the her first I was there for and so in a way it was like a real blessing that this kind of happened at a pivotal time in her development. And I got to be there for her. And, you know, I was taking VC calls with her climbing on my lap and I'm getting a bit emotional <laughs> because it was like a hard time, but yeah, I have to look back and be grateful for it. I, I love that you shared all of that just because when you like the biggest thing too, is when you started this business, you were in a different life stage. You were, you, you know, you were in a totally different life stage. And to your point, there never is a perfect time for anything. There's never a perfect time to start a business. There's never a perfect time to have a kid. There's never a perfect time for any change. And you kind of just have to live your life and make it all work together, you know? Yeah. And you will, you know, and you just, you can do it. We raised our toddler in London on our own. We don't have much support in London. I have my younger sister, um, quite near me, but you know, she's really busy with her own career. Like she can't like provide support during the week. She does on weekend, my parents were not there and Lee's parents weren't near us either. So it was, you know, it was tough on our own, but we did it and you can't, you can do it, you know, and you just, you find a way to be like super organized and get it all done. I mean, when I think back to what we've just talked about in the last 30, 40 minutes, you have really proven that anything can happen and that you can you can handle anything life throws your way. I mean, you are the epitome of that, which like you should be so proud of yourself because your story is remarkable and what you've accomplished is remarkable and your thought process and just how you've digested it and just shared it with me is also remarkable. So I commend you so much. And I would love to wrap up by the same question I ask all my guests. And really that's if if someone else is going to start a business, someone who's listening, or even if it's a new business or they've been around even for a little bit, what are three things, and I know you could probably list a hundred things, but what are three things that you would tell them that they should be sure to do um, right now? Um, yeah, so many things. I think my number one piece of advice is make sure you start a business that you're really passionate about, right? And you can be passionate about lots of different things, um, but you've got to you've got to love your business and you've got to love your product because there's absolutely no way I could have gone through this journey and re- saved the company, restarted the business if I didn't love it and really believed in what we did and really felt that we built something special. Right? You have to love it because you can't weather the storms. And I say storms, and there's never just one um, unless you really do. Right? And you really believe in what you're doing. If you're just setting up a business to make some money, like just forget about it. Like there are there must be easier ways to make money out there, right? Like invest in other people's businesses. Like don't, don't set up your own because it's really tough. And it's really for people. I think you need to ask yourself the question, like if I want to set up 
a big business. I'm not talking about lifestyle businesses because they're slightly different. Although there, there is an argument to say whether you run a small business or a big business, the kind of stress is the same. So you might as well run a biz- big business. But um, I run a big business and I think I would say like, don't do it unless you feel like it's just in you, it's in your DNA, right? I think people just, they have it in their blood and they would just never be satisfied unless they tried. And I was one of those people, like I know I would have died feeling miserable if I never tried. I would have died feeling satisfied as if I tried and failed. But if I didn't try, I would live with that for the rest of my life and become a very bitter old woman and probably take it out on my children. So I knew I had to just, I had to go for it. Um, and that would be my second piece of advice. And thirdly, I would say, go out and figure out if you really have product market fit, right? Like really try and understand that because if you don't, it's going to be a really tough tough battle there are so many businesses out there and you'll be fighting for everything and try and figure out what makes you special like what problems you're solving for the consumer and are you really solving a problem that the consumer feels is important and would pay you for right the problem we're solving we don't see ourselves as just a travel company we're a company that connect people in their 30s and 40s at a time in their life when their social circles are shrinking our mission is to create one million friendships it's not it's nothing to do with friendship and travel. Travel is just a catalyst to create those friendships, right? And I think like tr- truly try and understand that, like understand your customers deeply and the problems they have and solve around that. So there would be my three pieces of advice. Rada Vias, CEO of Flashpack. I have loved every minute of this conversation and I am so grateful that you have shared your journey with me, with us. And I'm so excited to see what happens because I know there are big things in the pipeline for you guys. And like, I can feel it across the Atlantic just from this conversation. So thank you so much. And and thank you so much for being so vulnerable and honest. No, and, and thank you for the opportunity. It's an absolute pleasure. I absolutely love your podcast and listen to it. So um, look forward to hearing more stories from amazing entrepreneurs. Thank you. Take care. How amazing is Radha and her story? Let's give her and her team a huge shout out for the comeback that they're creating with Flashpack. There are so many amazing takeaways in today's episode, so I want to make sure that you get out your pen and paper and jot them down. Number one, don't be afraid of executing a crazy idea to get press or awareness. You never know what that can do for your business. Number two, use your experience failing to grow. You will learn much more from failure than you will learn from years of success. Number three, if there's one lesson you can take from her story, take away that you should take the money even when you don't need it. Number four, having a co-founder who's not a family member is a massive benefit. You have your own support network and there's obviously less risk financially. Number five, take maternity leave. Don't miss out on that time. Number six, make sure you start a business that you're passionate about. Make sure that you love it. Number seven, starting a business is hard work. It is really hard. You need to ask yourself if you want to set up a big business, don't do it unless you feel like it is in your DNA. So ask yourself, is it in your DNA? Number eight, go out and figure out if you have a viable product to go to market with. Figure out what makes you special and what problems you're solving for the consumer. I cannot thank you enough for being here and for joining us on today's episode of Dear Founder. And a special thanks to those of you who have left a rating or review. We have had so many amazing ratings and reviews. And I just wanted to share one of them that um, was recently posted that honestly was a pinch me moment. 
Um, Mom of three in Michigan said, every time I listen to... Every time I listen to one of Lindsay's podcasts, I have several aha moments and it changes the way I think about entrepreneurship life. Um, That honestly means the world to me. And um, also recently, Annie Feig said, a must for anyone starting a business or dreaming of starting one. I've learned so much from these stories. As an entrepreneur myself, this podcast is better than therapy and more helpful than any networking event. Again, thanks, Annie. Another pinch me moment. I'm so glad we can be here to help. So if you like what you're hearing, please make sure you take out your phone and you click that five-star rating or you leave a review so that others can find us. We have some amazing guests coming up. So while you're at it, make sure you subscribe to Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify or wherever you listen so that you never miss an episode. If you know someone who wants to start their own business like Radha or who has started a business or who has an amazing idea, please text them this episode or post it in your Instagram. Make sure you tag me because I'll share some of those to say thank you. Stay tuned for another episode of Dear Found Her coming your way every Tuesday and Thursday.